you're in 1 Corinthians 11, we're actually going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12 and what we were studying two weeks ago. Okay, we're going to pick another chapter. Um, <laughs> obviously, not in 1 Corinthians 12. <laughs> We're picking up in the gifts and the body. And I know that this has been a long series, but it requires a lot of attention. I've rarely known of many people that have given it the attention that it needs. I've been studying a lot of different books on what people have to write about spiritual gifts, and I'm finding some things that I just think are, are and it's, it just seems just a lot of inconsistencies that happen with the idea of spiritual gifts and how they operate within the body of Christ. The reason why we're studying this is because I have rarely ever seen a body of believers who is operating according to their spiritual gifts. A lot of churches exist, and what is commonly known is the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work is being done by about 20% of the people. And there's a word for that. It's called unbiblical. Absolutely. And some of the things that we've seen... We've seen that the primary task that I have as your pastor is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Mine is an equipping ministry. Why? So that the work of the ministry is done by the people of God. Now, when it's all said and done, believers are going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord is going to ask, so what things were going on for my glory during your earthly life? And this is what's known as the judgment seat of Christ. And with the at least four different areas of the scriptures, I guarantee you, whether you recognized, encouraged, or, 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 or built up your spiritual gift and utilized it for building up the body of Christ is going to be a major criteria there. That's why we've got to know this. And we've got to go over it and over it and over it to take a look at it. Now, from here on out, unless there's some hiccup or major uh, intrusion, we're going to be finishing out this entire uh, spiritual gifts section because the goal is we can know everything that we need to know about spiritual gifts and dissect the word until the cows come home about that. But if we are not putting it into practice, we just got smarter. We didn't become more obedient and we didn't glorify Jesus anymore. We've got to put feet on what we know. And so that's my goal of what we're trying to do here. Now, some preliminary housekeeping things before we start. Number one, a conclusion that we've come to so far is that there are 11 spiritual gifts, 11 spiritual gifts that are valid today for the church. We actually have this beautiful pie-looking chart, trivial pursuit thing that Emily put together that is just glorious. Um, I cannot give her enough credit about everything she does around here. She's awesome. And so uh, all of these that we see, some of these things we've covered, leading, teaching, exhortation, giving, we've covered through some of these things. And now today we're going to be dealing with the spiritual gift of wisdom. Now, some of you still have these sheets tucked in your Bible. At the top it says spiritual gift inventory answer sheet. Some of you are scared to death because you feel unprepared. That's okay. Because I think we have plenty of these to go around and for some reason you don't have this. So, who needs one? Because we're going to pass them out. Yes? Oh, thanks, Dean. Awesome. Just raise your hands and have them. Now, I'm just really quick. I don't know how to tell the difference between people that need it and don't need it. 
If you still have your spiritual gift inventory with you, just raise your hand real quick. Raise your hand real quick. There you go. There you go. Awesome. That's good. That's good. Everybody needs to have one of these. You say, well, I'm filling this out. I don't really know what I'm filling out. That's okay, because when we get to the end of this study, we're going to fill all this out again. It's, we're going to fill the whole thing out again. We're going to go through it again. You're going to get a brand new sheet, because as we walk through every one of these spiritual gifts, you're going to learn different things about these spiritual gifts that are going to help you be more discerning about, is this how the Holy Spirit has gifted me to serve in the body, or was that not me? Here's the reason why. This paper test is not foolproof. It's not. The way that you find out your spiritual gift is you get involved in serving ministries and you make the really hard, and it is a very Christian decision, some people feel like it's not, of saying, you know what? I have no business serving there. I have no business doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with recognizing where your involvement is causing a problem in a flow of the ministry. What usually keeps us from that is pride. Well, that's what I ought to be doing. Maybe not according to the Holy Spirit. Another thing that keeps us from that is this whole idea of, but that's the spiritual gift that I want. That's not the one the Holy Spirit gave you. And I promise you, He knows way better than we do about how we can best be used for the Lord's glory in ministering and edifying the body of Christ. Excellent. Does anybody else need one? We got lots of these. Kevin? Awesome. Thank you, sir. Your mother? Okay. His mother-in-law needs one. Anybody else? Are we good? Excellent. Let's go through the ones that we've seen so far, okay? Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is put, if you haven't done this, you, some of you that have this already have this, is to designate these lines and to go ahead and go down through and fill them out. So watch, just real quick on the screen. PJ, if we go to the next one, please. I want you to start with A at the very top and go down through. Notice that we've got A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I, J, K, L going down. There's 12 that are listed on here. We came to the conclusion that leading and administration through studying it are actually both in the same. So line it down through there with your A through L. Anybody else need one? What in the back? Dave needs one. Anybody else? We can make Zach run all worship long. We're good? Don't be shy. We got plenty to go around. It's good. Zach's young and vibrant. And here's what we found so far. B is exhortation. The idea of encouragement. B is exhortation. C is teaching. If you want to fill in that big, uh, long line there under spiritual gift, teaching. Drop down to G. G is giving. The spiritual gift of giving. Underneath that on H is mercy. Mercy is under giving. So line H is mercy. Skip line I and then J is leading and K is administration. And you might want to put a little bracket around them because they're both the same. J is leading and K is administration. Now, for, now if you notice in your, in your gifts that you've got right there, let me go over them real quick again. B, exhortation. C, teaching. G, giving. H, mercy. J, leading. K, administration. And leading and administration actually bracket together. If you notice on the right-hand side, you're going to have some larger brackets. The larger brackets are because the first five gifts at the top are speaking 
gifts. And so if you want to turn it sideways and just write along that bracket there, speaking gift, okay, or just speaking. The lower seven, actually six, are the ones that are serving gifts, ones that would be more equated with the idea of what it is to be physically ministering within the body. So you have speaking gifts and you have serving gifts. Those are the two categories. Now, before we move forward, just for what we've looked at so far, are there any questions? Make sure everybody's got down their paper. Excellent. Okay. So now, if you've got your Bible here, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12. This is actually the fourth spiritual gifts passage that we've looked at. And we are going to be going all the way through verse by verse from chapter 12, verse 1. A couple weeks ago, we covered the first 11 verses and walked through it. We're going to be going all the way to chapter 14, verse 40, because that is when Paul concludes his section on spiritual gifts. Verse 1 says, now concerning spiritual gifts, or the word should probably be spirituals, is the idea. Now we have a connotation thinking that's old songs that were sung a long time ago about Jesus. That's not what this is. It's spiritual things, and we find out that the context deals with how the Spirit has gifted the body of Christ. Once you become a believer in Christ, you are given at least one spiritual gift. He says, now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. No ignorance in this area. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if somebody is serving in the Spirit, Jesus gets the praise. If someone is serving in the flesh, they're looking to get praise on themselves. We are not in the spotlight. If spiritual gifts are about anything, and this is the Holy Spirit's entire ministry that he wants to do, he always wants to point the direction to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is always front and center in the Holy Spirit's message all the time. So Jesus is the center point. Everything else flows out of that. It's never about the credit that we get for this special ability we have and this this kung fu mentality that we've developed, or all this discipline we've gone through, whatever it is, it's none of that stuff. It is all the Spirit working through us. Verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord, being Jesus. Verse 6. And there are a variety of effects, a variety of uh, 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 energies, a variety of operations. Some of your translations say workings. Ways that you can go about doing those spiritual gifts in those ministries is what he's getting at. But even though there's various ways, but the same God who works all things in all persons. The entire Trinity is involved in the work of the ministry. But they are working through us as the human agents who when we are submitted to them are being used supernaturally for his glory. The flesh counts for nothing. It's all got to be spiritual. Now, pause for a second because we talked about this earlier. When we talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, if you want to jot it down and read it later, when we talk about the idea of what it is to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, Paul is very particular in saying there's going to be wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones. And fire is going to test each one's work. Now, of course, this is, an, this is creating a picture in our mind that we can understand what that's going to be like. But what you're going to find is, is that a lot of things we thought we did for the sake of the Lord is actually going to go up in flames. 
All the things that we did in submission to the Lord because we desired for the Spirit to work through us and give Jesus the glory and edify our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's going to be the stuff that lasts. That's going to stay. We have to make a decision coming in our lives. Am I doing things because I'm staying busy? Because I like being occupied with stuff? Well, this is the stuff that we've always done. This is how we've ever done it. Or are we going to cut all of that out? Well-intentioned? Yeah, absolutely. But are we going to cut that out and look and ask the really hard question, is it spirit-led? See, that's a question that gets us a little weird because the Holy Spirit's a little spooky anyway. And we don't want to be one of those spooky Christians. Okay? But listen, God desires to do supernatural work. There is no other work that brings him glory but supernatural work. Doesn't matter how many schools you've gone to, how smart you are. None of it gives him glory unless it's done his way, by his means, in his power, through the gifts that he has given. Now, that actually makes it really simple for you and me. Because the only thing that we have to do is put our hands up in the air and surrender. A lot of times we don't like to do that. But all we got to do is just wave the white flag and be like, okay, Jesus, have your way. You'll be amazed what Christ will do. You will be amazed what Jesus will do in your life if you simply stop trying and start surrendering. Because now he's got room to work. We're no longer butting heads with him. We're no longer pushing against him. So it is with the gifts of the Spirit. Now watch that the point that he's making here is this may look many different ways. But understand, it all comes from the same source. It all comes from the same Spirit. He says here, verse 7, But to each one, if you're a believer in Christ, that's you right here in this passage. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit because He wants you to look really good. Is that what it says? No, for the common good. My preaching and teaching ministry and how I'm gifted is meant to build you up. Your mercy ministry, if you're gifted in that way, is meant to build me up. Or the tea, or the exhortation, encouragement. Somebody sent me some encouragement the other day. I loved it. You know why? Because it came at the exact right time that I needed it. Because I was getting all Eeyore about life. <laughs> right? Bing! You know? Tell me the Lord doesn't know how to do that stuff. Tell me the Lord doesn't know how to exercise a spiritual gift and so move us to say, you know what, I need to reach out to that person. I need to love that person. I need to build them up. That's the body of Christ. And notice that that's supernaturally done. We're not going through a Rolodex thinking, well, when's the last time I talked to that guy? It's the Spirit bringing it up. The question is, is will we obey and follow through? Guess what? Beautiful God-like things happen when that takes place for the common good. So now moving on, verse 8. For to each one is given the word of what? Wisdom through the Spirit. Another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Another faith by the same Spirit. Another the gifts of healing by one Spirit. Another the affection of miracles. And another prophecy. And to another distinguishing of spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. And to another interpretation of tongues. But here's the point, verse 11. Because notice, this really isn't about gifts. He's throwing out gifts as an example of the same Spirit is manifesting himself through all of this. And here's how he summarizes that, verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. 
You have the gift that you have because the Spirit knows that's the way that you are best to contribute to the body of Christ. There's a lot of trust here. There's a lot of trust of saying, okay, Jesus, you know what you're doing. This is how the Spirit saw best fit to give it to me. And you know what? If you come to a point and you say, this might not be my gift or where I need to be serving in this ministry, thank you for saving us a whole lot of headaches in the future. That's a really good thing. We had an elder retreat not too long ago, and we did some in-depth teaching about the idea of what it was to be elders and deacons. Kevin, was it a beneficial time? It was a super beneficial time because we walked away and recognized that two guys that we currently had as elders coming to the conclusion themselves by studying the scriptures, and two guys that we had on deck to be elders were actually better suited to deacon ministries. And there was a sense of relief that came over them. One of them actually said, I didn't like doing some of that stuff anyway. You know? There's nothing wrong with being honest. Praise God. Because what that shows, being open and teachable and saying, God, where do you want me to be? Nothing but fruit is going to thrive out of that situation. Simply coming to the recognition. Is that even a word? Realization. The realization that God might want you in a different place. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, we're starting with this list, and we're working through the words of wisdom. Everybody look at verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, the exact same Holy Spirit that seeks to manifest through the rest of the spiritual gifts. Let's give a definition of wisdom real quick. Some of us will know this. Some of us immediately gravitate towards Proverbs. I thought this was pretty succinct. Wisdom is intelligence. Then, practical action in accord with it. It's not just knowing. It's taking the knowing and it's doing. That That doesn't really seem revolutionary to us, does it not? But you'd be surprised how few of times that actually takes place. How many times do we come to church and we hear a message about something that might be pertinent or something in the Word of God is brought to light, it's illuminated for our understanding, and we recognize, oh my gosh, I've been handling this wrong. But when the pressure's on, you go back to doing it the way that you've always done it. Yes? If that's the case, we're not walking in wisdom. Wisdom as a general definition means the idea that you have intelligence about something, there's knowledge that's there, but also, you've got action to back it up. You're putting it into practice, and it makes no sense to go back and do it another way. When you talk about the word of wisdom as a spiritual gift, it ups the ante just a bit. William McDonald has a good commentary, and he wrote this. The supernatural power. Now notice that. comes from the Spirit. The supernatural power to speak with divine insight, whether in solving difficult problems defending the faith, resolving conflicts, giving practical advice, or pleading one's case before hostile authorities. It's the idea that the Spirit is using you and giving you such applicable understanding of the Scriptures that you are manifesting that out in how you are living your life. These are usually application-oriented people. They love people and they want to see the Word of God applied in their lives 
So they are trying to use the scriptures in order to give every possible means of how something could be applied. Any text that you go to in the scripture only has one meaning. But there are many applications that you could pull out of it and apply to your daily life. Wisdom people want to get in there and see how that works. They want to get in there and help you find that. They want to say and phrase it in such a way to where it's finally clicking so that life takes a couple of steps up. Now, if you notice in your handout that you have, you've got this, and we were going through these. Every time we came to a spiritual gift, we would give these out. And we're going to go through this because this is Rod Mocker's study on that. Now, if you want more information about that, I explain it some other time. You come talk to me personally. I don't want to take up time because we have a lot of things to get through to make sure that this, this makes sense. But when we talk about what Rod Mocker has had to say about this, if you notice, it says the spiritual gift of wisdom. PJ, can we go to the next slide, please. It says here, the God-given ability to locate formerly unknown principles as well as to combine known principles of God's word and to communicate them to fresh situations. Now, here's what this isn't saying. It's not saying, well, there's some weird thing in the Bible that nobody can figure out, only this person knows. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying, well, uh, uh, maybe they've got like some kind of special corner on the truth and everybody else is just underlings compared to this person. It is never a means of exalting self. We all know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do we know that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. We know that one. Okay. This is the guy who quotes verse 7. Okay. This is a girl who comes about and says, what about verse 4? Because we've got these common ones that we come around and we know, and we say, oh yeah, that's real good, and that's awesome, and I'm sure Hobby Lobby makes a plaque for it. We do all that stuff. Okay, this is a person who's come along and going, yeah, but look at this one here and this one here. And you're like, well, I haven't seen that before. That's amazing. Yeah, here's how it ministered to my life. And they begin communicating that out. Now, notice as we go down through here, the little points of what might characterize this person. And think about very critically, especially if you went through your sheet and you scored high on that particular situation. Even if you didn't, remember, the sheet is not foolproof. This could still be you. So pay attention. See if this clicks with you in some way. Understand complex matters quickly. Given a supernatural sharpness to that. Easily pick out main points of view to the practical. You just see it. It just jumps off the page at you when you're going through the word. Can come up with alternatives when faced with difficult situations. A lot of problem solving. Is consistent. Good character quality. Tries to discern God's mind in daily activities in other words and here's the reason why you know it's spiritual because a lot of people walk around life and they don't care what god thinks about on any day except for sunday between nine o'clock and noon so this is somebody who is really tuned in with the idea of what is the spirit doing and desiring to live every day in exercising that gift with wisdom assist people sometimes at the risk of being misunderstood that actually might spread to more of us than just people who have the word of wisdom right uh, very responsible in tasks undertaken. You can count on them. You can depend on them. Dependable people. Ability to make decisions quickly and to put ideas into words. In other words, they don't need to sit around and have numerous conferences, conversations, and meetings about something all the time. When the Word of God speaks, it's clear. It's crystal clear. And they're ready to move forward and get it done. Confident, not arrogant. There's a difference between arrogant and confident. Confident because why? Jesus Christ gets the glory and the word of God is a foundation for it. 
arrogant? Hey, guys, guess what I thought of? I've been thinking about our problem all night. It kept me up late at night, and I think I have the solution. Send that person home with a Bible, right? Go back, come back later. It's okay. Some of you guys are not in the joking mood today. Last one, able to take details and puts them together to make a complete picture. In other words, it's not just about wisdom in the here and now. It's about the idea of having the foresight to ask the question, how does this work as a whole? It's the forest, not just the trees. Now, if you want somebody who we know of in Christian circles who really does this gift well, it's a man named Gene Getz. Some of you are familiar with him. Gene Getz, his last name is G-E-T-Z. And you talk about somebody who can look at a passage and deal with how could this apply here in your life? How could this apply here in your church? How could this apply in your relationships or in your marriage? And he will give you numerous things that you can draw off of in order to understand that. And it is an edification to the body of Christ. We all need, the body of Christ needs word of wisdom people who have been gifted in that way. Now, let's see an example of this and how it takes place. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Now, you're probably familiar with Acts 6 because we know that is the time when the disciples were overwhelmed, or forgive me, the apostles were overwhelmed with a situation going on when they had a food bank and you had warring widows. <laughs> Imagine having that problem in your church. That's interesting. But you had Hellenistic widows and you had more Hebraic widows and they were fighting because some were being overlooked about the distribution of food. And so the apostles were getting away from ministering the word, and they weren't spending as much time in prayer, which is what their responsibility was, and they were having to get in hands-on with this situation to figure out what was wrong with the distribution so that everything could be evenly and, and, and get this quell, out of the, quell this thing out of the way. I don't even know what you call it. It's a schism. It's got to be dealt with. And so they do an unbiblical thing. Well, somebody's got to take care of it. And so they step into a role that they have no business being in. Because that happens, the teaching of the word of God and prayer on behalf of the saints falls to the wayside. Now, which one does, does the word of, sorry, which one does the church need more? Prayer in the word or making sure that widows get enough food? Isn't that interesting? Some of us get killed to say that. And that's okay. Because we want to care and we want to love for people. But when that gets neglected, things were not happening. The church was not growing. Well, in this situation right here, the church needed to grow. They had to get back to it. And so what do they do? Hey, let's choose some people. And in fact, I'm going to ask you to look at this. It's not on the screen, but look at it. Look at verse 5, I think it is, that goes on here. I'm sorry, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of, watch this, good reputation, Okay, they got a good reputation about them. Second criteria, full of the Spirit. Now that doesn't mean they stood in a lotus pose and they floated three feet off the ground and eyes rolled back in their head. And That's not what that is. They were doing alms all day long. That's not what it is to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means that you're walking in obedience. That's what it means. It means that the Spirit is filling you because you're in a life of submission to Him. It's not super spooky and, and weird. It is supernatural and spiritual, but it's not spooky and weird. Okay, so notice they've got to be full of the spirit, which means that the other people would have noticed that this took place. And look at this last one here. And of what? Wisdom. They've got to have intelligence applied in a supernatural way. 
They've got to have the walk of a sound believer in Christ. And not only that, they need this special designation of wisdom. And so they put them in charge of this distribution of food that takes place. Now, when that happens, the church begins to grow again. Pick up in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. Pause. Where did that come from? The Spirit. Okay? The Spirit is working through him. Full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men, from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen. Now you say, what in the world is that? At that time, whenever some slaves had either bought their independence or had been freed and then set free from their slavery situation, they migrated to Jerusalem and they decided to get together and start a synagogue there. And it was from people from all over, but they had a religious worship center that was going on there. So the synagogue of the freedmen included both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia. They rose up and they argued with Stephen. Now watch this, because the problem is, is the death and resurrection of Christ, and they're freaking out because he's saying he's the Messiah, and they're saying no, okay? So look at verse 11, or verse 10. But they were unable to cope. You ever been unable to cope with something? They just couldn't, get, they just couldn't deal with it. I, I just don't know how to handle that. They were unable to cope with the, what? Wisdom. They were unable to cope with the wisdom and the Spirit, notice how they're put together. Notice that Luke, when he wrote this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was very intentional. Stephen wasn't just starting an argument with a bunch of people he disagreed with. That's what you do on Facebook, okay? What Stephen's actually doing here is because he is submitted to the Spirit and because he is arguing about things that matter, these are hills to die on, the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the promised Messiah who died for our sins and rose from the grave. That is the gospel message. Because of that, he is taking a stand and the Spirit is working through him and he is exercising such wisdom that they're saying, I, I don't have any more arguments. I don't even know what to do with this guy now because everything we're saying, he's just wah, 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 dismantling all of it, spiritually speaking. He's dismantling his opponents. Being mean? No. <laughs> How'd you guys like that? Won't you join a real church? He's not doing any of that stuff. Notice it's by the Spirit, exercising wisdom. They were unable to cope with the wisdom and the Spirit with which he was, what? Speaking. Because speaking wisdom is a speaking gift. So now here's a demonstration of how this works out. The problem is, is that sometimes we think we have the spiritual gift of wisdom and we want to get it wrong. Here's what wisdom is not, if you want to jot this down, okay? Advice from worldly sources. It's not, well, you know, I was talking this guy on Oprah the other day. Woo! You won't believe what he said. No, it's not worldly sources. Worldly sources are satanic sources. There is no fence there. There's not, well, they're neutral. Neutrality does not exist in the spiritual realm at all. Not worldly sources, not the school of hard knocks, right? You always got that guy? Well, in my experience, no. That's not the spiritual gift of wisdom. That's boisterous. It's self-exalting. It's meology, not theology. Or clever stories that should be accepted because they are logical. Now, I love the people that have told me this with all my heart. Have you heard the story about the guy that was waiting for God to show up when the flood happened? 
You heard this story? And so he climbed out and he got up on the roof of his house. How did he get up on the roof of his house if there was floods going? I don't understand that. Maybe he went up through the chimney. I don't know. And he said, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And a boat went by. I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And a helicopter went by. You know, Come on, get on. No, 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 I'm waiting for God. And eventually he drowned. Everybody heard this story? Anybody know the big problem with this story? What is it? Do we know? It's not biblical. It's not biblical. The guy who's waiting for God to show up when the boat comes by and says, hey man, get in so you don't drown. That guy's just stupid. <laughs> he doesn't have anything about the, the word of wisdom in him. It's not a biblical story. And yet, how many times have we heard this folk tale spun in order to make us realize, well, God could operate in this way. And his, his ways that he delivers are obviously more obvious. They're more obvious than what you might think. Maybe. Give me a chapter and verse. Don't give me a Reader's Digest column. It's insane to me. The problem is it's not biblical. Anybody that is exercising the word of wisdom is going to have biblical parameters that will clearly line out what they're saying so you can check it with the truth. The Spirit is never going to do anything that contradicts His Word. The church is not the world. So oftentimes, worldly practices are brought into the church. This is the right way to go, and this is the way to do it. And everybody's got the best intentions in the world. And sometimes we've got to hurt feelings and say, you are operating like this, and you are not operating according to the Spirit. It's not the Word of Wisdom. Our world has got so many business classes and business acumen. Is that important? Is that good? Yes, it is. If it overtakes what it is to live by faith and walk in the Spirit, the church is in trouble. Nothing supernatural is going to happen in that type of atmosphere. Also, the next one. Go to the next one here. It's not a strategy that works. It's not this idea of, well, because it fit here, and that's what God wanted to do, it's going to fit here because that's how God works all the time. All of those things are usually divorced from the Bible. Always ask the question, where do at least the principles of this idea occur in Scripture? We've got to at least have the principles of how God would work that. The, uh, John Corson writes good commentaries, very practical commentaries. The word of wisdom doesn't come from one's ability to figure out a situation. That is doomed from the beginning. Because just because you're doing it with your mind doesn't change the fact that it's still in the category of the flesh. It is supernaturally given to answer a question or to solve a problem. The spiritual gift of wisdom is a spiritual gift. Are we good on that? Okay, let's see one more exercise of this. Turn over to Acts 15. This one's just a little bit long. Forgive me. I'm going to go through it quickly. It is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I'm not going to get hung up on it because I want you to see something, but we've got to read a lot in order to get the situation. At this point in Acts, you're having a major paradigm shift in people's minds in the early church. And the reason is, is because they're starting to hear stories that the Gentiles have come to faith in Christ. And they don't know how to deal with it. Because predominantly for the first, I don't know, I think it was like 15 to 20 years, maybe a little bit more, it was nothing but Jews coming to faith in Christ. Well, how in the world do you deal with these pagan Gentiles, they had all kinds of bad ways that they thought about them. It was a very racist situation going on back then. And now their minds have got to be changed inside of them. Wait a second, Jesus died for them too? I don't know how to handle that. So they had this big meeting in Jerusalem. Chapter 15, verse 1. So men came down from Judea. 
and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, all God's men said, ouch, okay? That's the first thing we said. We've immediately got a problem with that, okay? How do you deal with a situation like that? Here's what they're doing. Back it up and look at the principle. Yeah, faith is good, but you got to have some works. Now, this is something we deal with all the time today. I hear it every week. Yeah, believing in Christ, that's great. But if we don't see it, how do we know that you really believe? You might have spurious faith, and it's not really a true God-wrought, genuine faith. Clever language isn't going to dress it up any differently, okay? Any salvation that you have to contribute any work for, either before or after, is not truly saving because it's not fully on the work of Christ. So let's finish that real quick. Notice that they're dealing with this problem for the first time. And it comes from, how does the law fit into this brand new thing that the church is doing? Now the question, or the answer is, it doesn't, okay? And so they're, they're trying to put all this together. So, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of, of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So they sent them off. Go talk with Peter, John, and all those guys, and let's figure all this out. Let's have, this is the first like council, church council that went down. Verse 3, therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all of the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, now don't discredit these guys too quickly, okay, because watch what it says, who had what? Saved Pharisees, okay? We usually think gospels, Pharisees, bad, ooh, evil, going to hell. Don't automatically, automatically do that. Luke doesn't let us make that mistake. These are Pharisees who were still part of that, but had become believers in Christ. And so imagine how they're wrestling with coming out of this legalistic system. How do they live a life that is characterized by grace now, is the idea. So notice, it says they believe they stood up and they sang, it is necessary to circumcise them. Well, that's the problem we had in verse 1, right? But then they upped the ante. And to direct them to observe the law of Moses, right? And all God's people said, good googly moogly, really? That's what it is. Not only circumcised, but now I got to keep the law? Who's that put the direction of, of works on? Me. How are you performing? If my salvation is based on how I'm performing, I'm not making it. If my salvation is based on how Jesus has performed, I've already made it. And I had nothing to do with it. Okay? So remember, they're struggling with this for the first time. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up, and immediately you're thinking gospels, Peter, before the Holy Spirit indwelled his life. You think, man, Peter, sit down, man. Don't do this. Come on. You can start cutting off ears. You better agree. Right? Thankfully, the Holy Spirit is, is taking up residence in his life and begin to change him. Here it is. Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. You say, wait a second, I thought Paul was called to the Gentiles. Why does Peter say it was him? Is he lying? Is he trying to take the spotlight? What's going on? No, no, no. If you remember, that threshold was broken by Peter because he is the one who preached to the house of Cornelius. 
Everybody remember that? Right before that happened, the sheet came down, all the animals. Whoa, this is weird. Kill and eat, Peter. No, Lord, I've never taken anything dirty like this stuff. Get the pork chops away from He obviously hadn't tasted them yet, right? That's the problem. But he says, don't call anything that I've made unclean. And he was preparing his mind and heart because some Gentiles who Jews hated were going to show up and they say, you know what? We've had a vision from the Lord. Come, tell us what you know. Come, tell us what you know. We want to know. And when Peter's preaching to them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they begin speaking in tongues as the evidence of the Spirit's working, just as he did in Acts 2 with the Jews to show they are fully accepted by God. Now that's a whole revolutionary thing. So Peter's not getting it wrong here. He's actually recounting a history of what's taken place. So you know it's come through him. God used him to do this and that they would believe, verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did us. And that's where your Acts chapter 2 sits. He says here, verse 9, He made no distinction between us, Jews, and them, Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by what? Ah, keep it, keep it in mind. By faith, they were saved the same way the Jews were. Now watch this. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In other words, if you're saved by faith, why do you want to take works and hang it on them like a weighty necklace? You're killing it. Stop it. Jesus has died for that stuff and he's paved a brand new way. Why are we trying to mess that up? He says here, verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Now imagine the scene going on in this church meeting. Notice what it says. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating with signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles because that was another way that God was authenticating his message before the completion of the New Testament to show that he was actively working amongst the people. Now, people are being silent. People are relating stories. Gentiles are saved. We're having to deal with this. It's by faith alone. They're coming to that conclusion for the first time. Okay, good grief. Somebody's got to come in and give some wisdom in the situation. After they had stopped speaking, James answered saying, Brethren, listen to me. James has the gift of wisdom. James is the half-brother of Jesus who in John 7 made fun of Christ and tried to get him to go up to the, to the feast so that he would be exposed before everybody and be shown to be a nobody. This had to be really humbling to realize that your brother is the Messiah. I wonder why he was never put in a corner, right? That's a joke, whatever. <laughs> half-brother of Christ. He's the one who wrote the epistle to James. And now here he is, a spokesman of the first church in Jerusalem. In fact, some believe that he was actually considered the head pastor of this church in Jerusalem. How in the world did that happen? Well, here's the amazing thing. I'm sure that when James recognized that he had been gifted with the gift of wisdom, and he started submitting himself to the Holy Spirit, he started to be used in a grand way in this church. And when you start recognizing where people are best used according to their spiritual gifts, you get them in place so that spiritual things are happening all the time. Here's what he says. Brethren, listen to me. Simeon is related, that's Peter. Simeon is related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. In other words, James is saying, let me bust some Old Testament wisdom that you might not know about on you right now so that you understand this was always part of what God was going to do. 
This is from Amos 9. Anybody read Amos 9 lately? Notice he's busting wisdom from those books. You have. You might have the gift of wisdom. Pray about it. Okay. There you go. With, the, with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. After these things, I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which is fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my, what's he say? Judgment. If I'm going to take the knowledge of what I know about this situation and apply wisdom to it on how we should handle this problem we've got in front of it, here's what I'm going to say. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they, number one, abstain from things contaminated by idols. That's always a good thing. Number two, fornication. It's good to abstain from that. Everybody know that? That's good to abstain from that. Our world doesn't know that. Make sure the church of God knows that, okay? Number three, and from what is strangled. Ooh, what is that? And from blood, number four, okay? Now, notice he tells him that it's good to set forward your life living this way, not do these things so that you be saved or stay saved. Everybody see that? He's not confusing those issues. So watch, he says, For Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. In other words, what he's saying is, the law is read in all of these synagogues all the time. If you abstain from these four things that we said, you won't sour your mission field. Because the people that need to hear this are the people that are bound up in the legalism of the law. So you don't give them any reason for unnecessary offense. You've got an open door to start talking about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Whether Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. So he says that, verse 22, here's the evaluation. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas and Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter to them. Here's the letter. <clears throat> the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. This is a good letter, right? He says here, since we've heard that some of our number uh, to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. How were they unsettled? Because they were told they needed to be circumcised and keep the law in order to truly be saved. That's unsettling to my soul. Okay? He says here, verse 25, it seemed good to us having become of one mind. Notice, when we got unified about this subject, he says, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the... Oh, stop. Who did it seem good to? Do you realize that that's the difference maker in this entire situation? They have this problem about how is one saved? And they're arguing back and forth. Contentions are happening. Maybe where people were going out back in the parking lot. We don't know. Hopefully it didn't come to that. But people are relating how the Gentiles are coming to faith. and like, surely it can't be so. That's just beyond my thinking. Could God really work in that way? How could God love those dirty people? And they're starting to recognize, wait a second, anybody can be saved by faith. It's not about what you do. It's about what you believe. How do we instruct all these people that may have been offended by this false teaching? We're sending them this letter and we're letting them know that when we got together and we talked about it and we debated it and we dealt with it, that the Holy Spirit had something to say. Pause. Is this a good church? 
Some of you guys have fallen asleep. Notice that it's a Holy Spirit-led church. They care about what the Spirit cares about. Notice that James utilizes his wisdom to bring all this to a conclusion and fix this problem and send a letter. Why? Because he's using his gift of wisdom for the edification of the body. Just in Jerusalem? No. In fact, it tells us where. Antioch, Syria, Cilicia. If you're a Gentile and you come to faith in Christ, he wants to edify you. And that's what he's doing here. He's exercising the spiritual gift of wisdom. He says here, verse 28, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. They got nothing else to say about the matter. That settles it. That's done. That's how God wanted to use a spiritual gift of wisdom to create what could have been an incredible faction in the church. It was wisdom that was put forward in agreement with the Holy Spirit that took a situation, well, we've lived this way for so long. Not anymore. Jesus is doing something new. Think about this. And then when you turn out Amos 9 on somebody, they're like, oh, I've got to deal with Amos 9 now. And I haven't dealt with Amos 9 before. Well, this is what God's doing. He took what people didn't previously pay attention to in the Old Testament and utilized it for the edification of the body. Maybe this is you. Maybe this is you sitting here saying, you know what? All the time I have this idea of how things should come about. I'm reading in the Word. I'm seeing how they connect to what's going on in the church. And we need this guidance here. We need this Holy Spirit-led, Scripture-wrought guidance to happen here. Maybe it's real easy to look at this and say, you know what, I wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole. That's good. Word of wisdom is not you. God has something else. There's nothing wrong with that. We good? I'm out of time, so let's just pray and be happy people, right? What letter is wisdom? I'm sorry, I didn't give you that. D. D on your sheet. D is wisdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for the gift of wisdom, that we see it in the Scriptures, that we know that you've given it to the church, that you would not have an incomplete body, We can understand that the church desperately needs wisdom. We need that insight, that applicable insight into the Word. We need that person to step forward with the Word of God and to help in problem solving and to smoothing out the rough patches. Lord, we want to pray for everybody who might have the spirit of wisdom, that your Holy Spirit would be ministering to them, helping them to recognize that and see it for what it is, to come to terms with it, to be guarded against pride, and to be guarded against self-exaltation, to be guarded against, against just trying to make much of themselves. Lord, how important it is that Jesus Christ is center stage at all times. Lord, I pray that we would all be in prayer this week for those people that may have this gift, how desperately it's needed, just like all the other gifts you've given in the body. Thank you that you've not just saved us, but you've equipped us to do supernatural things. We, we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name, amen.